right. We'll get rolling. Um, we'll have the doors open. People kind of trickle in. Um, yeah, we should be good. All right. Hey, how's everybody's break? Long break. Anybody in the basketball tournament? Play, play decent? A couple people in here? Yeah, hey, you guys were good. I was pulling for you guys. They almost took down a, a group of fellas. It was, it was awesome. Um, no, hey, welcome out to Trust Fault. Glad you guys made it out. Uh, my name is Joe Kimmerly. I am uh, on staff at KU. Um, went to uh, went to Mizzou. Wife went to K-State. Visited UNL this year. So a little bit of a chameleon, okay? Got a lot of different campuses. So we can find some commonality uh, wherever you're at. Still a couple campuses I gotta get to. But uh, excited uh, to get to those. But I uh, recognize some of you guys from last year's Breakout Trust Issues, okay? Pretty similar title. Uh, for the past two years, I've talked about why you should trust the Bible. And uh, this year, talking a little bit about one of the biggest questions you can really ask in your faith of, can I trust God? Can I trust God? And so, I don't know why I keep getting uh, breakouts on trust. I don't know if there's something to that. There's any messages people are trying to give me. But double, actually three years in a row, breakouts on trust. And so, uh, I'm excited to dive into um, this topic and uh, even looking at it the past couple of years, I think that trust is a huge thing. It is a huge thing. And really when we trust something, we will go all in. Like if you really trust something, you will go all in and, uh, and do it. So there's a couple examples of what I was thinking for when we go all in, when we trust something. First one, anybody go skydiving in here? Okay, a couple, couple. Man, talk about, that is like the definition of, some of you guys like your stomach right now is, dropping even seeing that picture that is a trust fall you have a random person on your back and you're asked to jump out of a plane trust fall that is a i don't even know how far how far up but you are trusting that the guy on your back knows exactly what he's doing and that he's going to pull your chute when you need it and uh, that's a trust fall that's a huge you really got to trust that person on your back another one anybody seen this this is the cn tower edge walk okay uh, it is a 116 stories above Toronto, and they walk around this. And I only see one rope. Okay, there's one rope. You are trusting that rope uh, as you're walking. It would be a trust fall. It would be a trust walk, hopefully. Like, you are trusting that one thing. But I'm like, man, I don't know if I have enough trust. I don't care how big that rope is, how big that, that thing is. I don't know if I have the trust. But if that's what it takes to do the uh, CN Tower edge walk. Uh, people are trusting their kids nowadays. To do stuff like this, I don't even know where this is, but they're trusting this kid's athleticism. I don't think it's real. Okay, I saw it, I think it was on Instagram, but I don't think it's real. But uh, I don't know how they made that. But trust, man, you gotta trust your kid to, to his athleticism, make those jumps onto those little pieces of concrete. But uh, I think we see from, from these examples that when we really do trust something, we go all in. When we trust something, we go all in. In. And uh, if we really trust God, I, I think the same is true with, with God. If we really trust him, if we really trust him, then we go all in with him. We go all in with our faith. And, uh, and I think in a lot of ways that can seem like a trust fall, right? That can seem like a trust fall backwards. Like you don't know. We can't see God in a lot of ways. That's a trust fall. It takes trust. And uh, I think one of the biggest reasons why it's so difficult to trust God is that straight up life is just hard sometimes. Like life is just hard. Um, I got advice from a buddy in elementary school. All good advice comes from your buddies in elementary school. We lost in recess. Somebody got hurt. 
bad grade Peterson, still stuck in my head, would say this. Life stinks, wear a helmet. That's what he'd tell me. I'm like, he's not my most comforting friend, not my most encouraging friend, or much of a philosopher, but Peterson would say this. And uh, not a huge philosopher, but Peterson does understand that life is hard. Like we could all agree um, that life is hard. And uh, the Bible actually would say it a little bit more eloquently than Peterson. But in Job 5.7, it says, Man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. But there's a reality that as we come into the world, if we are born into the world, we will see hard things happen in our lives. As the same as sparks always flying upward. And, um, and that's just the truth of the Bible. And this reality can keep people from trusting God. It can be something that really impacts people's trust of God. And I want to be sensitive in a room this size. Conference is big. I know people have been through really hard things. I do not want to downplay that at all. Um, whether it's, you know, disease, injustice, natural disasters, death in family, somebody you trust, uh, not, not being trustworthy in your lives. I know that those are real things and I want to be sensitive to that. And uh, I think people in this room probably come from a lot of different places in regards to trusting God. Some might be in a little bit of like a reconstruction stage where maybe one of these things happen and it's really rocked your faith. Man, can I trust God? And you're trying to build back out of that. Maybe building up a trust that you did have or maybe you're trying to trust God for the first time. And some people might be in more of a, a preparatory stage where you know you haven't been through hard things much yet, but you want to prepare. You want to prepare for when those things do come and you want to deepen your conviction. Um, but specifically, wherever you're at in this quest of trusting God, my hope is that after we look at God's character and really why he's trustworthy, my hope is that you guys would walk out of here with a deeper trust in who God is. And uh, so I'm excited to dive into this question of can you trust God um, in our taking the trust fall of our lives. And so this is our main question. Can you trust God? And you guys got handouts there. Um, you can start filling stuff out. But we're kind of going to look at it in, in two nuanced ways. So the first way is, can you trust? Can you trust God? Is God trustworthy? According to his character, can you trust him? And the second kind of flips it more towards us. It's a personal thing. Can you, can I trust God? Based off of what we know of him, can you, can I make a decision to trust him? So that's what we're going to look at. That's how we're going to break it up. Uh, but the first bulk of our time, most of our time is going to be looking at, looking at this aspect. Can you trust God, is he trustworthy according to his character? And uh, I was thinking about this. Anytime uh, you're deciding whether or not to commit to somebody or really trust somebody, you want to know their character, right? And so uh, this played out big time for me, okay? So this was uh, September of last year. I wanted to know, right? I wanted to know. I wanted to know that Maddie, this is my wife now, I wanted to know that Maddie was the same person on the inside as she was on the outside, and she is. But I wanted to know. I wanted to know her character. I wanted to evaluate. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to entrust my life to this person. What's her character like? If I'm going to go all in and do a trust fall in this marriage, I want to know as much as I can. And so on the front end of getting down on one knee, I, knee, I wanted to know. I wanted to know what she, who she was at her core. And so I think in a lot of ways the same is true. Before we commit to God and saying, I trust you, we want to know their character. So that's what we're going to look at um, tonight is three truths of God's character. And so, first truth is that God is completely sovereign. He is completely sovereign. And uh, of the three truths of God's character, this is often the hardest one uh, for people to accept 
we're willing to put God anywhere in our lives a lot of times except for on the throne as king. It's a hard place to put God and giving him control of our lives. And uh, the central idea here, here, we'll kind of have a central idea for each of the points. But the central idea is that God is in control. He has a purpose and a plan for you. And he has the power to carry it out. And uh, I know sovereignty, it's not a word we use a lot nowadays. And so a quick definition of sovereignty is God's absolute independence to do as he pleases and his absolute control over the actions of his creatures. And uh, the first part of this idea of God's sovereignty is that he's in control. He's in control. And uh, a couple different areas that God's in control of. This isn't an exhaustive list, but a couple um, God's in control of the actions of people. The actions of people. Uh, Proverbs 21.1 says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Saying that God, even king's hearts are in the hand of the Lord. And he can direct them like a water course. Like you can push water and direct water. God has people's hearts and actions in his hand. And he is sovereign over them. And so God, he is in control of people's actions. Uh, he's also in control of nations, countries, and rulers. Nations, countries, and rulers. Um, Isaiah 40, 22 through 23 says, He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. I've never been called a grasshopper before. But he says, people are like grasshoppers compared to him. He says, he stretches out the heavens like a canopy, and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces rulers of the world to nothing. And so God, there, there's kings in the world. There's rulers of the world. But God, is, he is over them all. He sits enthroned above the, them all. Enthroned above the circle of the earth. That's over everything. And God says, I'm in control of nations, countries, and rulers. And so not only that, but God is in control of nature. God is in control of of nature. So everything you see in the world around you, everything you can see, God is in control of that. He's sovereign over it. Um, Psalm 147, 8 through 9 says, He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain, makes the grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. And so just think about every part of nature. There's so much to nature. Um, every strand of DNA, every molecule in water in the ocean, every rainstorm, flood, strike of lightning, the way the seasons change, how the planets move in orbit. God is in control over all these things. He is sovereign over these things. And so sovereignty, God is in control of uh, creation, peoples, nations, rulers. He's king over it, and he does what he pleases with the world. Uh, back to the idea, he also, he has a purpose and a plan for you. He has a purpose and a plan uh, for you. This is one of those uh, coffee mug verses. We probably have seen this one a lot, but Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That believe it or not, God, he has a purpose and a plan for our life. He's got a plan. He has a purpose and he's going to, he has the ability and he wants to bring about that purpose and that plan um, in our lives. For those who follow him, he wants to give a hope and a future. He wants to bring people into that. That's one of the most amazing things of God's sovereignty and why we can trust him. 
And I think in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a air traffic controller, okay? We're all pilots, okay? We all have our own lives, our own trajectories, our own course, but God is, in a way, it's almost like an air traffic controller. He's, he's removed, he's stepped back, and he sees everything. He sees every aspect of people's lives, he knows people's courses, and he's bringing about the best thing to achieve his purposes in the world. So he's got a unique perspective on the world that he can actually do that in each and every person's life. And that's the reason why we can trust him. He's got a purpose and a plan for us. And also this is significant, not just control, not just purpose and a plan, but he's got the power. He has the power to carry it out. And uh, two verses here about God's power. There were tons in the Bible, but two uh, that really hit it is uh, Jeremiah 32.27, Job 42.2. I'm the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? And then I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Hey, that's a rhetorical question. God's like, hey, there, there's nothing too hard for me. There's nothing too hard in my purposes and my plans. They can't be adjusted. I have the power to bring them about. And power is significant. I was thinking about this, but a king could be a great guy with a great purpose and plan. But if he has no power to bring about that for any country or nation or anything, he'd be a bad king. Right? You wouldn't want a king who's got a great heart but no power to like bring about these good things he's trying to do. And God says, hey, I'm a good, I'm a good king. But I'm also, I have the power to bring about these purposes and plans in people's lives. And uh, I know this is something for me on a heart level that I knew. I knew about God's sovereignty. Uh, but it was crazy. I could tell the full story uh, at a later point. But I think God convinced me of this as I was writing this talk um, in St. Louis Six days ago, seven days ago. And uh, so no joke, I'm sitting uh, at the section of a coffee shop, huge long table, 15 person table. Uh, there's two guys on the far end, you know, 20 feet away in this back room. I'm writing that Isaiah 40 verse as I'm typing in, um, typing in my talk about, typing about how God is king over the universe, king over the hearts of people, all these different things. I hear this guy down the, down the table from me yelling, my, or yelling to me, hey, hey, take out your... You know, headphone. I take it out, and he goes, "Hey, me and my buddy were just talking, and he raises coffee." He said, "To the king, to the king." And I was like, I looked down at my Bible. I was typing in Isaiah 40 at the time about he sits enthroned above the earth as a king, and I just lifted up my Bible. I was like, I am writing a talk about God being king over the earth. It was crazy. We talked for an hour and a half. The guy was fired up about college students and what's going on through these campuses and he just wanted to be a part of what's going on at these campuses we talked for an hour and a half till they closed it was an amazing thing but god for me in a way he was like hey i know you're giving a talk on this but do you believe it i'm sovereign i could put anyone anywhere at any time and he convinced me of it uh, even as i was writing this talk and so god he is sovereign he's sovereign over the control of every every aspect of life uh, but God's sovereignty, it's an easy thing to accept when things are going well, when we get that guy, get that girl, get that job, get that test grade that we wanted. Uh, but when things are hard, that, that's when we really question, man, can I trust God? And uh, the reality of God's sovereignty is that he is in control of both the good and the bad, that he, he doesn't bring evil, he doesn't create evil, but he, he is in control of it. He can use even bad things for his purposes 
And Lamentations 3.38 says, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? And God does not shy away from this in the Bible. He says, hey, yes, good and, th- good and bad things. I am in control. I can use these things. And uh, this can lead a lot of people to say, man, how, how could a good God allow these things to happen in our lives? And I think to really reconcile this tension and this question, uh, we need to look at the second truth of God's character. And that is that God is infinite in wisdom. He's infinite in wisdom. Central idea here is that God, he's infinite in wisdom. He always knows what is best for us, and he knows the best way to bring it about. And so in order to make the connection between uh, God's sovereignty and God's wisdom and why we can trust him, I'm going to give you a key definition, okay? And so key definition here, God's providence. Providence is God's constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and the good of his people. And so bear with me. This is technical. I was, I was reading a, a book about it. But this helped me understand how these two things come together. And essentially it's this. That God's sovereignty is, is his ability and his power to do whatever he wants. And that in itself, it, power is not a comforting thing. Somebody could be a tyrant or you know, a dictator just with power. But we actually see here that, that God, there's a purpose behind his power. And it says that his purpose behind this power, his providence, is that it's for his own glory and also the good of his people. That God, he isn't just unbridled power, but his sovereignty in the world is to bring himself glory and the good of those who are following him with their lives, who have given their lives uh, to him. And this is really where his wisdom comes in. How does God walk this line? How does God uh, go about being sovereign, but also perfectly in wisdom? And uh, the Bible says his understanding has no limit. He understands uh, everything. And because of that, he knows the best way to bring things about. He knows what we need in our lives. And I think there's so many ways to see the wisdom of God. I mean, it's everywhere around our lives. But I think creation for me is something. When I see creation, I see um, the wisdom wisdom of God. We see the wisdom of God all over in it. And Jeremiah 10, 12 says, but God made the earth by his power. He founded the earth, the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. And you can just think, think about all the ways God's wisdom is displayed in creation. Uh, he made natural laws to govern the earth, gravity to keep us on earth. Um, snow formed in the sky, rain coming down through clouds, how hummingbirds actually pollinate different plants by what touches their forehead and they carry it to other plants. Uh, Babies formed in the womb, how DNA codes every part of us. DNA in itself is wild, right? It's like God, he's wise. He's so wise in how he created us. And uh, if we want to know about the wisdom of God, we don't have to look very far. It is all around us in the world. And uh, I think one of the coolest things about God's wisdom is it isn't just intelligence or smarts, but his wisdom is, is around our lives. That God's wisdom, we can see it in our lives. It's active in our lives. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible, so it spans over a couple, couple different chapters. I'm going to give you just a quick uh, summary of it so we don't have to go through a bunch of chapters, but it's the story of Joseph. And now Joseph um, was born around 1700 BC. He was the favorite son of his 12 brothers, and uh, his brothers were jealous of him. 
And so his brothers actually uh, took him and sold him as a slave to some people who were passing by to Egypt. And uh, when uh, Joseph got to Egypt, um, he was a slave there. And through a series, long series of events, one including a false accusation of Joseph, um, he ends up in prison, but then given the ability to actually um, share the dream of Pharaoh, who was the most powerful person at this time. And uh, from Pharaoh's dreams that Joseph predicts, he predicts that there's going to be a famine in the land and that they should start rationing out um, a bunch of food to save this nation and the neighboring countries. And uh, basically Pharaoh recognizes Joseph's God-given ability in this time and promotes him to basically the prime minister of Egypt. Talk about a story. Deserted by your brothers to prime minister of Egypt. And so foreign lands were coming to have to buy food. The famine happens and foreign nations have to come and buy food from Egypt, buy food from Joseph, who's the prime minister. And Joseph's own brothers come and actually stand before Joseph. And in that moment, they're buying food to try to stay alive from their brother who they betrayed. And Joseph in this moment, he could have done anything, right? He had every right to do what he wanted to his brother's uh, but in this moment, Joseph sees the wisdom of God. He sees the wisdom of God. And he says this, And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And he sees the wisdom of God. He could have done anything to his brothers. But he sees the wisdom of God. He's, he says, wow, I was set apart for this through your actions, evil actions towards me. He says later, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And Joseph, he is so aware of the wisdom of God. Only God could write a story where essentially this country and really the line of Israel is impacted through these brothers' sin, through their decision to abandon their brother. And only God can bring about um, this in the world. And I think one of the most comforting verses about this idea of trusting God has to do with that story. And it is Romans 8, 28. It says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And regardless of whether it's an extremely good thing in our lives, an extremely bad thing in our lives, that God, we're able to trust him uh, even when things don't make sense to us because he's sovereign, he is wise and his providence. He's working for the good of those who follow him. I've heard it said this way, God uses whatever he allows to touch you. God uses whatever he allows to touch you. That when hard things come, as a Christian, hard things will come for anyone. But we can trust God's wisdom, that he ultimately knows what's best for us, even when it doesn't make sense. And because of that perspective, his infinite wisdom, he's actually able to give us things that we not just want, but things that we actually need. And so... I experienced a little bit of this this past Christmas. I think I told some KU people this, uh, but this past Christmas, uh, I've got a unique person in my life who is a full vantage point on my life, and that is Maddie, uh, coming up on a year here, January 14th. And, uh, and so being married to her, she sees the ins and outs of my life. Good, the bad, the ugly, she sees everything, okay? And uh, I don't know about you guys, this might just be me, but when it's birthdays, Christmas, and somebody's like, hey, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? I go blank every time. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I like got clothes and shoes, food typically in the fridge. I'm like, I, I feel good. I'm like, anybody else like that? When people ask you for, mine's blank. I have no idea what I want. And uh, 
And Maddie, she sees right through that. She, she knows that I need things in my life. And uh, last year she got me one of these suitcases. Now, I, I'm telling you, I never would have thought in a million years to get a suitcase. I'm dead serious. I, I never would have thought that I actually needed a suitcase. I carried around like black Puma duffel bag. Like I would have been a 50 year old guy traveling the world with a black duffel bag had it not been for Maddie. But, but she knows, she sees my needs. She, she understands, I'm not saying she's infinitely wise. She's very wise. But she sees my needs. She knows what I need. And she didn't just give me something that I wanted, because I probably would have just made something up. But she gave me something I needed. And, uh, and I think in a similar way, God is like that. He doesn't just give us things we want all the time, but he gives us things we need. And that's in a lot of ways why we can trust. He's infinite in wisdom. He's got this vantage point on the world where he's sovereign. We can trust him because he's able to do these things for us because his providence it is it is good for him it's for his glory but for the good of those who follow him and so the second one uh, god's infinite wisdom third god is perfect in love he's perfect in love so the central idea here we can trust god's love because he loves us with a perfect and infinite love which is demonstrated on calvary and because of this we're secured in his love and so the idea of God's perfect love, it's almost like the bow that ties everything together of these three attributes, three truths. And uh, he isn't just completely powerful and sovereign to do what he wants. He isn't just infinitely wise, but he is loving towards us, to go towards those who are following him, to who have given uh, their lives to Jesus, surrendered to life. Uh, God is loving towards them and everything that comes into their lives. And uh, Matthew 10 uh, 29 through 31 says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. And so we see a couple different things. We kind of see God's sovereignty here. Uh, but we see that essentially a sparrow at this time, it would have been almost worthless to the Hebrew people. They would have been worth a couple pennies. There were so many of them. They were everywhere, almost kind of annoying because there were so many of these birds. And, uh, and basically God is saying he's in control of the smallest and most insignificant things of the world. Not one of these is going to fall to the ground apart from the will of God. And I think he's illustrating here that if he's in control, if he's in control of sparrows, how much more is he in control of the lives of those who are following him, who are called his children? And I think God is saying here that people, if, if he sees these birds as, as valuable, he sees us as infinitely valuable because he loves us. And he, he sees our lives. He knows what we are going through. And there are so many verses on God's love. Um, but here's just a couple. Uh, Psalm 32, 10. The Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. That God's unfailing love, it actually surrounds and encircles and protects the person who trusts in him. It's a hedge of protection. And then uh, Paul talks about it a ton in Romans, but Romans 8, uh, probably my favorite chapter of the whole Bible. But uh, Romans 8 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Uh, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And Paul's saying, hey, Nothing here on earth can separate somebody who's following Jesus from the love that God has for them. And this should cause us to trust him. If God says that this love, it, it, it binds us to him, it should cause us to trust him. 
And, uh, and we saw this in our central idea. There was a specific thing that should really cause us to trust God. And it's what was demonstrated on Calvary. The love that he has for us that was demonstrated on Calvary. And Calvary was the place where Jesus was crucified, where he died for the sins of the world. And it's on this hill that we see these three truths of God, I think better than any place you could ever see them in the death of Jesus, that, that God in his sovereignty in that from the foundation of the world, God chose this, this man, this Jewish man is going to die for the sins of the world In his sovereignty. He chose, he ordained that this man would be uh, killed on a Roman cross and his sacrifice would provide forgiveness of sins to the world that God, he could turn the most tragic event in all of human history and flip it on his head to be the greatest event in all of human history. A wisdom that in his wisdom, he could provide a perfect solution to perfectly uh, keep his character as being just and holy and loving, uh, but also to care for his people and provide a way for him to know them. That God, his wisdom, only his wisdom could create that and love that in his love, he would pay the ultimate sacrifice personally on the cross by his own son, giving his own son. The Bible says greater love has no one than this, that he gives his own life. And, uh, and that's, that's love to the fullest extent that God would love like that. And only in this place on a hill called Calvary can we see these three truths of God fully displayed. And I think this should be something for us, for you guys, for me, that we come back to. If God could do this, if he could show this sovereignty, this wisdom, and this love, we can trust him with the smaller things of life. And uh, another awesome verse, Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son... But gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That if God would do that, if he would pay the price with his son in the ultimate way, how could we not also along with him, how can we not trust him to graciously give us all things? And I think that's a huge reason why we can trust God. Even in the moments of doubt, uh, when hard things happen, when we experience suffering or we go through something where our emotions don't line up with what we know to be true of God, we can come back to Calvary. That if God really displayed that on Calvary, we can trust him moving forward. I've heard it said this way, God's love and care, it's, almost, it's like the sun. It's constant. Even though the clouds may obscure it, it's always there. We just have to go above the clouds. That's something I think we can come back to. The, the, the sun is constant. It's always there. But there's going to be things in our lives that obscure it. But we have to go and seek truth. Seek not our feeling, not our circumstance, but seek the truth of God and know that his love is constant towards us. And so we see here these three things, th three essential truths of God's character, his complete sovereignty, his infinite wisdom, and that he is perfect in love. And when we see these three things, I was thinking about this. In a lot of ways, this reminds me of a three-legged stool, Okay. And so three-legged stool here, I think it's more like a drummer seat. Three-legged stool. Okay, so this, this stool right here, if these three uh, legs are on here, you can trust this. You can trust this stool. If one of those is missing, you better not sit on that stool, right? You're going down. I think in a lot of ways, this stool resemble, resembles these three truths of God. If these three truths are here, if those three truths are in place, you can trust this. You can sit in this chair. You can trust, you can build your life on these realities. And I think that's the first question that we have that we hit on is, can you trust? Can you trust that those three things are a reality? 
And the question is after that, if those three things are true, if those three truths are something you can build your life on, then we have a choice. And so can you trust God? Is he trustworthy? But then can you, can I choose to trust God? And that's a volitional choice that we all have to make. Knowing We can know so much about God, but at some point it's a faith decision. Will we trust him? Will we start to build our lives on him? So in the last section, last central idea uh, is choosing to trust God. Can you trust God? And uh, central idea here, we must choose by an act of our own will to trust God in major and minor difficulties. We can do this regardless of how we may feel because we know that God is sovereign, wise, and loving. I said a little bit earlier, I think I was thinking about this a lot. Trust, trust in God is really faith in God. If we say we have faith in God, if I really do have faith in God, I will trust him. I will trust what he says and build my life on it. And uh, Jerry Bridges, so he wrote a book called Trusting God. It's largely uh, what I read and used to even think through um, this talk. But Jerry Bridges says this. I think it's a great quote. He says, trust is not a passive state of mind. It's a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite, despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. That it's not... Trust in God is not just something that happens to us. It's not just something we kind of fall into. It's a, it's a choice. It's a daily uh, decision that we all have to make to trust God in the small things and in the big things. When our feelings don't align with what we know to be true, we have to t- change our feelings. We don't change the truth of God. We change our feelings to be uh, resembled, to build our lives on the truth of God. That even when those things don't line up, we come back to those three to those three legs. That if he is those three things, we can trust him. We can trust him with our lives, regardless of what's going on in our lives. I wish I could give a full talk uh, on that whole idea of just trusting God's promises. Trusting, it's an experiential thing that we actually get to grow in our trust. We experience him as trustworthy as we build our lives on him in that way. And it made me think of a story. Uh, Louisa Stead, okay? Obviously never met her, but uh, it's a great story. So born in 1850, okay? So Louisa had a daughter, Lily. And Lily, uh, when she was four years old, uh, they took a family picnic on the beach. Uh, Lily, Louisa, and her husband, as, as they're out there on the beach, they saw a, out the distance in the water a little boy drowning. And Louisa's husband ran off to the shore, ran off into the water, and tried to save this boy out into the water from drowning, and in the struggle of the boy, the boy ended up taking both him and the husband down, and both ended up drowning in the water. Louisa and Lily were left with no source of income. They had a tough go, even trying to just put food on the table uh, for for time after this, and they were rocked by the death of their dad and husband. And uh, Louisa said this afterward. She said, "A believer." A believer must learn to exercise such a strong trust in God's providence in good times that when the troubles come and the doubts arise, trusting God will just become the normal pattern of their lives. But the best way to trust God with the big things, with the hard things in life, is to trust God with the small things. To trust Him daily. What He says in His Word. Building our lives of obedience towards what He says. That that's actually going to build up. It's going to compound. So when hard things happen in our lives, we've built up a trust in him that's secure. It's firm. And she said this also, I will not doubt God in the dark because I've learned to really trust him 
in the light. And we will go through dark times. We will go through hard things. But if we have such a firm grip on God's trust, on who he is, that we trust him in the light, we can also trust him in the dark. And uh, she went on to write this hymn, uh, famous hymn. Some of you guys have heard it. But she says this, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord.'" I think I could come up here and say, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, following him for the past uh, seven or eight years, and it would hold some weight, but I think it holds more weight when you hear uh, somebody going through a hard thing. When she's able to say, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, that he's worth it. Uh, He's worth trusting with our lives. And it's something that we get to grow in. We get to grow as we trust him with the small things. When we trust him in the light, we can trust him with the big things, and we can trust him in the dark. So I hope... After looking at these three things, obviously there's so much you could, you could dive into this topic for hours and hours. But I hope after seeing those truths, those truths of God's character, that he is sovereign, he's wise, and he's loving, that you will choose to sit on the chair, that you'll choose to trust him and see how he's trustworthy for your own lives. And so I'm going to pray for us real quick, and I'll give you guys a couple minutes just to discuss um, the talk with each other. So, uh, Father, we just uh, thank you, Lord, for... This time, Lord, thanks for your character, God, that you uh, don't leave us in the dark about who you are. You don't leave us in the dark about um, why you are trustworthy, Lord, but you give us these things, God, that we can sit on your truth and really trust you with our lives. And so we thank you for Jesus and what he showed us on Calvary. Pray it all in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, go ahead and discuss a couple of these things, and then I think we've got a couple minutes, and uh, we'll do another rotate, and we'll have breakout uh, number five. After this. So go ahead and discuss a couple minutes. I know that was quick. Go ahead and wrap up that last thought. Hey, thanks for coming out to Trust Fall. I want to make sure you guys got time. You guys got 10 minutes uh, to get to that next breakout, get that front row seat. Um, I know there's a couple great options, but thanks for coming out and uh, enjoy the rest of SMC.